yet, but uh, Brother Kyle? Well, I know we can get caught up in it and think, well, he could come tomorrow. But he says just up in verse 35 that what he's shown forth shall not pass away or, or all these things he's telling us until all shall be fulfilled. And we know there's a lot of things that's got to happen, like in Revelations. There's going to be a war. There's going to be something. There's so many other things, and I think we often forget that, too. We just think, well, he could show up tomorrow. But no, until all of his words. All of his all, words will be fulfilled. But we can see some of these being fulfilled is what I you know, also want to say, too. Yeah, and, and, you know, we have for a long time looked forward to Zion, and my wife and I were talking about this. You know, the, the people that went through World War II, what an awful time. You know, World War One, World War Two. they must have thought, oh, surely the Lord's got to be coming soon. Um, but my observation is more and more in recent years have we seen fulfillment of what the Lord told us would happen. And it just seems like it's uh, time and time again we look and we see these things. We, we have to know that the time is nigh at hand. Um, I, I look forward to his coming. I don't know if I look forward to all the events that lead up to, you know, his coming. Un- unless we're part of the faithful. Unless we're part of the faithful. Um, let's turn in back in the... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Pat. In thinking about our timing and where we're at, and then what you just shared with us about World War Two and what took place there, when we think of this in context with what the civilizations in the past, what caused them to fail, our nation at this point is, what, 247, I don't know, years old, whatever. And they talk about civilizations lasting. If you go over 200 years, you've really done something. But at the point where we're at, again, we can only be held accountable for that for which we know and where we're at, what we're doing at this point. The fact that we've had 65 million babies destroyed. The fact that we have this human trafficking of children and stuff. These are children. When children were being sacrificed in Central America and in those countries, you know, that dispensation, that's when they fell. They had human sacrifice. They were sacrificing their children. So whether it's Right now, you know, for Zion or whether it's our time and the Lord is holding us accountable, that's why it's important as a people. We need to become informed and we need to speak up. You know, how long did the uh, the Nephite nation last after Christ had appeared unto them? You know, they had, I think, a couple of hundred years of righteousness what I would call that was the golden age we call it the golden age of the Nephites and then they began to decline you know and I agree with you Pat you know it, it seems like a nation after a couple hundred years it's hard for it ever to you know a righteous nation to go beyond that because things start to creep in and corruption starts to happen and, and there's no doubt we see that not only in our country but this world it's such a corrupt um, such a corrupt place. Pat? Is there a scripture that says that when Zion does come, that'll be the only place there will be a law? The only Is that place a of sign refuge. Of, 
Pardon me? It would be the only place of refuge where if you don't want to take up arms against your neighbor, you have to flee to Zion. Right. Yeah. So if, if our society is coming to the point, and here again, this is why the Lord told his people to gather. That's why he set aside a place for Zion, correct? That's correct. Uh, Greg? Common misconception, and I can't find the scripture right off the top of my head, but that where sin exists, there is no law. There is actually law that exists around sin as well. And so just because people are dwelling in sin doesn't mean that they aren't existing outside of law. They're existing outside of God's law. And so you're either you're either uh, abiding by God's law or you're abiding by the law of sin or the laws that encompass that which is of sin. So there are going to be laws no matter where a person abides. It's just who your author or who your allegiance is to, to use a common day term. Look at First uh, Nephi chapter 7. You know, there's so much that we could read here. Uh, let's start with verse 4. I'm going to skip around to a couple of different verses in this chapter. First Nephi chapter 7, verse 4 says, For by the Spirit are all things made known unto the prophets, which shall come upon the children of men according to the flesh. The book of Amos in the Old Testament says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing until he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. By the power of the Spirit, the Lord has shared with us the fullness of his gospel. And on occasion, the Lord continues to share with us through revelation, through revealment of things that he has in store um, for us. Now turn over to verse uh, 28, 1 Nephi seven twenty-eight. And every nation which shall war against thee, O house of Israel, shall be turned one against another. This is a prophecy of the last days and of the chosen race, the house of Israel, and how one will be turned, how, how these nations will, that war against it will be turned one on each other. Verse 35 for he will not suffer that the wicked shall destroy the righteous. So they will be saved. The righteous will. They're not going to be destroyed. Wherefore, he will preserve the righteous by his power, even if it so be that the fullness of his wrath must, must come and the righteous be preserved, even unto the destruction of their enemies by fire. Wherefore, the righteous need not fear. For thus saith the prophet, they shall be saved, even if it so be as by fire. I think there definitely is judgment that's going to be coming upon the world. The wickedness, you know, the their blood of the righteous cries up to their creator. And he will, I think, uh, put an end to that wickedness. And it may require his judgment for us to uh, receive salvation. I think in reading those things, the really the thing that's important for us to understand is His Spirit continues to work with us and to guide us. And if we would but ask, if we would but look, 
and not take for granted and say, oh, that's too easy. Let's listen to his counsel and let's obey his command. Okay? That is, I think, the the salvation that is before us to be saved from from all of these things that are going on uh, in the world and will go on in the world. So. All right. That kind of leads me into something else that I wanted to talk about that we, we didn't get to. And I already know you, some of you may be missing page 11 in your handout. Do you have that in your handout? If you do, let's turn over to that. Because I want to talk a little bit about this revealment of Jesus Christ, this uh, revelation of who he is. And on page 11, under that heading, the revealment of Jesus Christ, there's a, we've already read that scripture out of Matthew 16, verse 18, that talks about um, how Simon, um, when Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he told him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto me unto thee but my father who is in heaven and I want to quote here um, or read this quote from Elbert A. Smith and it's in that uh, in his book Square Blocks and it says therein is shown the need of present revelation without a constant revelation to each generation newborn into the kingdom, there would soon be a church composed of members who would be ignorant of the great fact on which the church rests. For it is not a fact that can be known by word of mouth alone, or by written word, or by art or science. No man can say that Jesus is Christ, but by the Holy Ghost." And he's quoting a scripture there. So Albert A. Smith, patriarch to the church, is making that point that we must have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And each generation, young people, listen up, each generation has to have that revelation, that revealment of Jesus Christ. Going back to Simon Peter, that's that rock of revelation that's what the church is founded on is the revealment of who Jesus Christ is so i'm going to pick on chuck he's not even here but he preached a great sermon last night he's got a great ministry he can be persuasive in the words that he uses and he can convince us of those truths but who does the convincing who really bears witness to the human heart of the truth. It doesn't matter what words Chuck says or what words I say or any of us speak. All we can do is point them to Christ. It's that spirit that truly grounds them in the truth. And that's what Elbert says here. No man can say that Jesus is Christ but by the Holy Ghost. We have to have the testimony of the Spirit to be in within us. Marianne?
I've been in a, a Bible class for 24 years with women of all different kinds of faiths. And I hear constantly them saying, and there's only 66 books in the Bible, and that's the Word of God. And I can't help but think, I mean, well, I believe in the inspired version, um, and I believe in current prophecy, that we have a prophet. And I love that statement that says, unless there is or there is need of a present uh, revelation, and thinking back to the, the children of Israel when they were in bondage as slaves in Egypt, look how much they fell, you know, and disbelieved and carried on as regular people of the world, you know, until the time Moses brought them out. And even that generation wasn't allowed to go into the land of promise because of where they were. So definitely, you know, it's good to have current revelation and bringing about the knowledge thereof thank you very much you can see you can begin to see the importance of it it's what grounds us in our faith tom referring to another evan fry sermon he talks about how when the bible was allowed to be read again by people and through history and and um, that um, people start interpreting the bible based on their own interpretation. He said we ended up with two different, 250 different interpretations which led to 250 different Christian churches. And he says, what do we need? We need a new revelation. And that's what happened with Joseph Smith, a new revelation so that we could interpret the truth of what is in the Bible. Yep, thank you for that. I believe truth is absolute and it resides with God. And we talked about that earlier in the week. And he doesn't change. And his truth doesn't change. It's men's interpretation of the truth that becomes a little bit flawed sometimes. So. Let me read to you another quote here on, on page 11. And this is a quote of Joseph Smith, Jr. And this was uh, was printed in the Millennial Star. But it says, At a general conference in Commerce, Hancock County, Illinois... On October the 6th of 1839, President Joseph Smith, Jr. proceeded to give instruction to the elders respecting the preaching the gospel and pressed upon them the necessity of getting the Spirit so that they might preach with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven to be careful in speaking on subjects which were not clearly pointed out in the Word of God which led to speculation and strife. So that happened back in those days. I think we see that on occasion in our days too. And priesthood, you got to be careful of that. Just preach the Word of God. And the biggest important piece of that is to get the Spirit, to have the Spirit with you. Because if you're just left to yourself as a man, the words are not going to carry beyond the pulpit. But if you have the Spirit with you, that's really what carries the message to the hearts of the people, is the Spirit of Christ. And so that's what we need to endeavor to have. So, Is it hard to get the Spirit? How do you get the Spirit? He didn't elaborate on it in that paragraph. What do you know about it? How do you get the Spirit? 
What'd you say? Fasting, prayer, humility, humility, what study, Brenda? This is one of my favorite scriptures. It's Alma 12, um, about 4 and 5, but it's when the um, sons of Messiah and Alma have been out preaching and they come together. They haven't seen each other for a long time, but it's describing them. For they were men of sound understanding, and they had searched the scriptures diligently, that they might know the word of God. But this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting, Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with the power and authority, even as the power and authority of God. Give me that reference again. Um, Alma 12, 4 and 5. Alma 12, 4 and 5. Did you get that, Jane? (laughs) What else? Did we miss anything? How do we get the spirit? Susie in the back. We We haven't heard from Susie for a while. By inviting it. By inviting it. That just seems too simple. Pat? This is where parents come in again. It's our foundation. It's, you know, we, we have our family and then we have our church family. But the prayers, the prayers of the mothers, the fathers, the grandmothers, the brothers and sisters, I mean, when we pray for one another. We pray for one another. Pray for one another. Stephanie? I feel like God's Spirit is always with us, but we may not always be in tune with it. So, you know, when we say, when we're praying, Lord, help your Spirit to be with us, we really should be saying, help me to be in tune with your Spirit. I think that's a great observation. Help us to be in tune with your spirit and provide that instruction. Yeah. Anything else we're missing? I think we've covered a lot of the fundamentals. Tom? I, don't know, I thought this scripture kind of went along well with what already has been shared as Nephi was questioning the vision of his father. And it's First uh, Nephi 3 says, And I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear. And know of the things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God in all those who diligently seek him, as well as in times of old and in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. Very good. What was that, 1 Nephi 3? 3, 26. 23 and 26. Uh, Turn to the book of Moroni, chapter 7. Uh, let's read, start at verse 4. Uh, let's start at verse 3. Wherefore I would speak unto you that are of the church, that are the peaceable followers of Christ, and that have obtained a sufficient hope, by which ye can enter into the rest of the Lord, from this time henceforth until ye shall rest with him in heaven. And now, my brethren, I judge these things of you because of your peaceable walk with the children of men. For I remember that the word of God which saith, By their works ye shall know them. For for if their works be good, then they are good also. For behold, God has said, A man being evil cannot do that which is good. 
For if he offereth a gift or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profit him nothing. So we must have real intent or a sincerity is the way I look at that in our petition to our Heavenly Father, being sincere about what we ask, not just words alone. Words are just idle, but if there's a sincerity of the heart in asking the Father for direction, then he's happy to bless you with that. What's it say in James 1 and 5 that Joseph Smith read? Somebody look that up for me and read that. I'm tired of quoting all these scriptures. You guys know it. Barb, you know it? And it shall be given him. Yep, James 1 and 5. So if we ask with that kind of sincere intent, he's happy to bless a 14-year-old boy, you know, with with some great direction. Barb, back up here, Enoch. Quick, quick. Thank you. Um, when I was learning some scriptures, the one that have a base, some that I could use as ones that I could give people, and I reread that one. And it says, "If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God." It doesn't say, "If any of you lack, let him ask of God." It specifically says. If you lack wisdom, he will more than willingly give you wisdom. Doesn't say anything about any of the other stuff we usually put on our want list. But he's happy. That's a good point. He's happy to grant that wisdom if we ask for it. Yeah. You know, that's what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom so that he could judge righteously, and and the Lord blessed him with that in a pretty miraculous way. Uh, Greg? Stopping in 5, if you go on to verse 6, it gives the rest of the reason for why it's not of worth, and it says because it's not counted to him for righteousness. It's because there is, and John the Beloved hits on it in First John. I've been harping on that, not harping on that, but that's where I've been kind of living recently at Adrian is John the Beloved in 1 John brings out a lot of the simplicities and the plainness of the gospel. And at the end, um, he hits on the reason for seeking out righteousness because all unrighteousness is sin. He doesn't say that some, a little bit, most. It's it's emphatic, 100% all unrighteousness is sin. Is sin. So if there is even a degree of unrighteousness in the heart's desire for what you're shooting for, then it's not righteous. Then it's not for the edification of the body, which is what this ultimately comes down to. Because whenever we gain these witnesses of who Jesus Christ is in in our lives and how he has interacted with us, then it becomes our job to be that witness to those that we come into contact with so that they can understand another way that he interacts so that they can see maybe a new way to understand his spirit. Because we don't see his spirit, but just like the wind, we sense it. We can feel its presence, even though we can't see it. And that's how it continues to work in and through and around us. That's great. You know, it made me think of uh, that old coach. Lou Holtz was his name. He was a famous coach. And he told his players 
He says, if you are, if you can't do something in front of your mom or your girlfriend, then to you that is sin. If it's if it's not something you would do in front of them, then you better not do it. I thought that was just great advice. Talk about sim- simplistic way of understanding what sin is in your life, Barb. I was looking for scriptures that talks about the love of God. You know, um, God loved us enough to send his son, so on and so forth. And I came across one and I said, wait a minute, what does that say? And it's in 1 John um, 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that ye keep my commandments. How simple do you want it to be? Yeah. We've discovered a lot of simple things today. Why are we not doing them? Why am I not doing it? I'm not going to point the finger at you all. I'm going to ask Joe why he's not doing them. <laughs> Greg. I'll say why. For Greg, at least. Because we're going through the Go Ye and Teach at Adrian, and I'm on the restoration section. I, like Martin Harris, care about what the world thinks about me and that I fit into the world, if I'm going to be completely open, honest, and transparent. That's what I care about through my actions, because if I didn't, then my actions would be that of a Christ-like nature. And then then in and of itself as well still lies that grace and mercy of God that allows us to still be able to repent, because it, it didn't dawn on me until I was doing this research to be ready for class Martin was called up short whenever he lost 116 pages of manuscript. He was still one of the three witnesses, one of the most miraculous encounters in our history. And then after that, in 1831, he was still called up by the Lord through Revelation saying, you still care about what the world thinks about you. God knew that that was still going to happen, but he still decided to allow Martin the opportunity to be able to be one of the three witnesses that saw the, more than just the plates. And it was, it was an experience for himself as well because he had to go through that humility process while the other two witnesses were able to see the plates and see the sword of Laban and the Urim and Thummim and all that. Right. And then Joseph removed himself and found Martin and then they began to pray. And then the exact same yeah, experience was it. opened up to him as well. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? You know, we're talking about First John. There's so many good references in First John to um, to describe what sin is, so that we can be aware of what it is. Uh, chapter three, verse four: For sin is the transgression of the law. Pretty simple. Uh, verse seventeen: All unrighteousness is sin. And then I was looking for another one here, and I, I'm not finding it, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it for you that know to do good and do it not to you that is sin ouch that one stinks if you know that you ought to be doing something good and you don't do it that's sin so it it's a whole brother wayne over here it's it's a whole takes it to a different level doesn't it of understanding i think of sin as if the Holy Spirit can't defend you for doing it, you shouldn't do it. Great, great point. 
Let's turn to uh, Section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And we're going to look at verse 16. And I think this starts to kind of wrap up the conversation uh, that we have been having. It says, and again, this is section 85, verse 16, And again, verily I say unto you, my friends, I leave these sayings with you to ponder in your hearts with this commandment, which I give unto you, that ye shall call upon me while I am near, draw near unto me, and I'll draw near unto you, seek me diligently, and ye shall find me, Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and shall be opened unto you. Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, it shall be given unto you that is expedient for you. And if ye ask anything that is not expedient for you, it shall turn to your condemnation. Several years ago, we were under the end inspiration of the Spirit given a message that was pretty simple said you have not because you ask not and this scripture is I think consistent with that counsel that that we were given you have not because you don't ask for it so saints my question to us today do we want the kingdom do you want it enough to ask for it? Do you want it enough to be obedient to the commandments? Do you want it enough to draw near unto Him? Do you want it enough to knock? We can go on and on and all the scriptures that we've read this morning. That, That is the underlying question. Do we want the kingdom? And I think that's where I'm going to leave us today. It takes us right up just about to our time. Any parting questions? Barb? Read the one about if you ask for it, but I, I will give you what is expedient for you, I think is the word he used. Yep. It shall be given unto you that is expedient for you. Mm-hmm. So we pray that we want Zion to come as quickly as possible. We're not doing anything to prepare for it. Is it expedient for us? No. Therefore, the rest of the statement is it becomes a condemnation to us. That's right. So if we are going to pray for Zion to come, we better not be sitting in our living room in a chair going, I'm going to sit here and wait. Go on, bring Zion. Bring it on. Yeah. I love the logic train that I just watched you walk through. Barb is a, a math and computer science teacher, and we had a good conversation yesterday about understanding the logic because how you go through the logic path is how you program computers. And it's going to do exactly what you tell it, but you've got to map out the logic behind it. So I think we're going to close with that for today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you, with you this week. I I hope that you found this class of uh, some some benefit. I pray that the Lord will continue to bless you as we as we onward forward saints to Zion.
Thank you.